Welcome to the Back in Business podcast with her, Liz Barkley, whose fringe is almost down to her chin, and me, whose fringe is nowhere near his chin. (laughs) (laughs) Mickey Clark, the man who's come over and thrown in the towel and left. (laughs) Mickey, Mickey, I was really impressed with your blog this week that says that your local pub is delivering to the door. (laughs) Yes. How much of that is food? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Quite, well, I, I, I was surprised at how, how well he's, he's done because we have a sort of love-hate relationship, me and the public, and I've always made it clear that I think his beer stinks most of the time and he charges too much. But that said, um, you know, there were worries when the lockdown started whether or not he'd survive. And he actually seems to be doing very well. I mean, Wednesday night was pizza night. Uh, last night they had the, uh, the the steak pie and the hunter's chicken and all that sort of thing. And, you know, you go and pick it up and they seem to be making a, a you know, a good fight of it. They're, they're, they're ticking over. Um, what his situation, of course, is with, with his landlords, as far as rent's concerned, I, I don't know. But, you know, if if all pubs are like that, then there's going to be a chance that a lot of them will survive. But, of course, the worry still is um, that a lot of pubs won't survive because if they're forced to pay rent, um, they ain't got the money there to do it. And I've noticed that a lot of pubs around here are a lot of pubs around here are doing something very similar. But it is about innovation. It's about it's now about them trying to differentiate between what they are doing. Innovation is the name of the game. Very much so. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not just the pubs. It's it's uh, you know I mentioned the. The local butchers, they breed their cattle, they have an abattoir there, um, you know, you normally go to the shop and buy it. They're now delivering and they're also working with a, a local farmer, um, you know, with a, with a market garden. And you go there on the Friday, you can buy meat, fish, and you can buy your vegetables as well. And you pre-order it and, and go there and, you know, it seems to be working well. And I think it's something they may well attempt to keep going. Um, I think I can see on Zoom that your waistline is expanding. Am I right? <laughs> don't answer that. Don't answer that. Our business, our business editor Declan Curry is here. Uh, Declan, uh, last week we were thinking it was very, very hard to find anything optimistic in the news, but um, there is innovation going on out there. Um, are you beginning to see any glimmers? Well, I, I'm delighted by the idea of Mickey Clark keeping the pub industry going one pub at a time uh, as each week passes. And I can think of no better man uh, to take on that uh, particular mantle. Uh, the high street is reopening. Greg's is reopened. We've seen uh, Costa Coffee say that it's going to reopen 1,100 branches within the next couple of weeks uh, when they uh, reopened the Primark, the Primark in uh, Northern Ireland, Second City, Derry, London, Derry yesterday. Uh, there were people queuing around the block from five o'clock in the morning. Such was the lure of cheap pyjamas uh, in uh, that particular city. And the retail sales figures which have come out this morning show that there has been a revival in, in sales. It's not a full recovery. We're still spending a lot less than we were in February, but the nation went a bit DIY crazy under lockdown, so pitch sales have gone up, sales of furniture have gone up, B&Q say they've done particularly well online, and we've seen another sign that online shopping 
is the big winner from lockdown. DPD, the delivery company, looking to hire some uh, 6,000 extra workers, most of them delivery drivers. And that's coronavirus accelerating a change that was already underway in the industry. Um, the more I talk to people, the more I realise that uh, uh, the way I described it yesterday was we've lifted the turf off the lawn and realised that the soil underneath was all cracked in the first place. <laughs> and there's uh, and an needs awful a little lot bit of uh, needs a bit of watering and uh, <laughs> yes. a bit of baby bio as well. Um, there is one other uh, development in the news uh, this uh, Friday morning, which uh, will give some encouragement to hairdressers and the pubs industry and restaurants as well. It is that the Joint Biosecurity Centre, the UK's chief medical officers, have now all agreed or four of them that the COVID threat level should be lowered by one notch. So they are no longer saying that transmission is high or rising exponentially. And that clears the way for a greater reopening on the high street. And I know we're going to be talking about hairdressers in a minute. and They are hoping to open on the 4th of July. I've got the very first appointment with my hairdresser. So I, I am desperately hoping yeah, you need it. just the one it, it lasts all day. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the shops opened in England this week. Scotland are hoping to open on the 29th of June. Wales hope, hopes to reopen on Monday. That's Monday the 22nd. And in Northern Ireland, they're open already. I love the way, uh, Declan, you say pre-mark, primark. <laughs> we, we're never quite sure exactly how we pronounce it. Um, and we have heard of big queues in the cities, in the city shops. We've also heard about lack of toilets putting off people going out shopping. So our reporter, uh, Jyoti Rambai, has been speaking to the shopkeepers. Jyoti, what's happening? Um, yes, yeah, so it's pretty similar for um, small, independent, non-essential retailers that have opened up this week. Um, so I've been speaking to various ones. Many of them have opened up and they have seen a rise in the number of people coming to their stores. Um, so I spoke with um, Sam Cook, who owns Moose Life in um, Woodbridge, Suffolk. So she goes, it's been great. She goes, one of the things that they struggled with was finding clear guidance to ensure that their store was COVID safe, if you like. Um, and she had to do a lot of research. So she would have liked a little bit more um, guidance from the government on that but she also thinks that the excitement of shops reopening will die down soon and she's expecting a dip in sales she's like it's been great but she doesn't know everything's uncertain at the moment which is quite understandable um so um, so is she then, saying then that there's certainly that there just isn't enough guidance out there or it's hard to find or it's confusing where you do find it I think part of it is that the guidance that is available is quite vague. Um, so it can be a little bit confusing and therefore she's had to go out and do more research to ensure that she is um, and her customers feel safe coming into her store to do some just shopping, if you like. And customers, of course, have been asked by the government to get out there and spend, spend, spend. But we can't do that if we don't feel we're safe in the first place. I mean, exactly. It's a bit of a catch-22 situation there. And I think um, while some businesses have been able to adapt, a lot of independent stores um, rely on their loyal customers and their local community supporting them. So 
um, it is really important for them to ensure that their customers feel safe because they do want them to come back again. And it's that's a trend that's emerged this week, Josie, is, is the consumer. Everything hinges on the consumer. It's how the consumer is going to behave going forward um, that is going to determine whether these businesses thrive and flourish or they, they wither. Um, you know, whichever industry you look at, whether it's the car industry, the airline industry, retail, um, the, the hospitality industry, it's all going to be about the attitudes of, of the, the, the consumer himself or herself and even how they spend the money. You know, we're not using cash anymore. We, we had a laugh this week. My wife looked, picked up my wallet and said, you've still got that tenner in your wallet. And I said, yeah. And she said, how long has it been there? I said, since about early April. <laughs> And the moth, and the moths came out with it. The moths came out with it. <laughs> but it, but it, it points out an example of what's going on that we've changed, and the businesses have got to change with us. You know, internet when it comes to retail, the technology is creeping in, and we've got to keep up with it. But we're not, Mickey. We haven't all got money either, because there are an awful lot of people desperately worried that they're going to be made redundant. So they're saving anything that they possibly can. Well, that's and lots the other of thing. people already on benefits. It's confidence. Yeah, you don't go out and spend money if you haven't got it or you're worried that you won't be having a, have a job next week. And, and that's the real problem, Faces. The, the Bank of England has said on Friday that, you know, there is, a, there is an indication that the global or the British economy is starting to pick up because all the economic news we're getting at the moment is blindingly obvious. Employment's dropped off a cliff. Economic growth's dropped off a cliff. No, really, Sherlock? I mean, these people get paid a lot of money for that rubbish. <laughs> Josie, uh, we're not expecting you to be Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, the thing about what you said about people and how they behave, um, that was actually something that came up when I was speaking to quite a few people. And generally speaking, people actually have been behaving. They're respecting the two-metre social distancing rules they're um, respecting the fact that you most businesses want you to pay contactless. Um, so generally speaking, on that side of things, I think people are behaving. Um, I um, think there can is. I bring in, can I bring in Simon? So, oh, sorry, sorry, Jyoti, I'm talking over you because no. I can't hear you. <laughs> no, Our okay. technology yeah, isn't working no. very well. <laughs> um, can I bring in Simon McVicker there on that whole point about the two-meter rule? Because I know, Simon, it's something that gets you very exercised. Simon, as our public affairs director, um, give, us the, give us the political landscape around all this. Yeah, well, um, the Prime Minister uh, had a rather, um, I think, robust meeting with his backbenchers this week at the 1922 committee, and he was told on no uncertain terms to do two things, get the schools open and reduce the two-metre rule. So he's got his orders from the back benches, and uh, I do think it'll be... Um, that is the, the direction that he's going to go in. It just depends what the medical people are saying to him. However, we have a sign that maybe the medical people are moving his way because Northern Ireland, of all places, the Northern Ireland government has... Uh, reduced the two metre rule to one metre rule uh, to a one metre rule, and they're getting the same advice as Boris. So if Northern Ireland can do it, why can't Boris? Uh, and the good news there also for Northern Ireland is they have confirmed that hairdressers will be allowed to reopen from the sixth of April. Uh, uh, sorry, of June. Uh, no, 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 no. Sorry. What year are you living in? Uh, 
I'm afraid no, every month, every month is merging into each This other. is what lockdown does to you. You lose all track yeah. of space and time. Yeah, you see, there's no Wimbledon or anything like that. Anyhow, <laughs> the news here in England is that the hairdressers are expecting to open on the 4th of July. And I know many hairdressers are taking bookings at the moment. But Boris's deputy, Dominic Rand, commenting on the restaurant situation um, on BBC Breakfast yesterday, said it was fraught with risks to reopen the restaurants and the pubs. So their prospects are not looking so good in July. And I think that might have come as a bit of a shock to them. Um, But again, the government is giving out mixed signals and it changes on a day-to-day basis. Just one final thing I'd like to just mention. I think we need to keep our eye on Europe because if we look at Germany, where up until now they've had a pretty successful fight against the COVID um, virus, well, it looks like they're having a hike of infections as they are easing the lockdown. And there seems to have been um, a lot of cases around abattoirs. And this now brings in a whole new area of concern governments is there something happening at abattoirs that is incubating this disease or is it just because there are a lot of low-paid workers there i don't know but this is germany the richest country in europe and i think there is some um concern around this latest news german sausage certainly very concerning as far as i'm concerned but as a vegetarian i'm hoping i'm not contributing (laughs) to it (laughs) in any way have you been a vegetarian this as long as you've known me and not much longer than that since I was in my teens. Well, I seem to remember you slobbering over the old steak. <laughs> that was mine. <laughs> Listen, this is no place... You can have food envy. It doesn't mean you have to eat it. <laughs> this is no place to start discussing food, please. <laughs> can we discuss hairdressers? Because we're, Simon and Declan and Jyoti have talked about hairdressers and we've got Hilary Hall, who's Chief Executive of the National Hair and Beauty Federation, Daniel Granger, who launched a new business in Nottingham just before lockdown, and uh, I'm not sure whether it's called We Are Perfectionists or not, but looking at Daniel's Zoom picture, I can see that slogan. And Susan Routledge is owner of the Finishing Touch Clinic in County Durham. Uh, Daniel, as I've said already, to the great envy of lots of people, I've got first appointment with my hairdresser on the 4th of July. Are they going to open? Congratulations. I mean, that's like you got got in there first. I have a waiting list. Um, as Well, I've, I've now booked up 12 weeks um, and there's a lot of clients out there that are really upset with me because I decided that I wasn't going to work extra hours because I feel like being out of work for so long and we work in such a creative industry where you know we have to be full attentive to our clients and we can't be rushing through we're going to make mistakes and these guys really want to build their self-esteem again they want to feel better and I think the first haircut that you have where you go out and you look stinging you know you come out there feeling amazing you're going to feel that life has kind of started to kind of ease out of covid and life is becoming normal it's one of those services that you know you spend a bit of time with human contact it's the closest you're going to get to anybody and especially you know with uh, susan in the uh, beauty industry as well that's we're really working close contact so there's a few worries there but not many so never ever we came are out the barber surgeons you're preparing to open 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say that again, Mickey. I was going to say, I never came out of the barber surgeons feeling stinging. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I see. I could do wonders with that. Is this a, is this I, a I, I mean, thing, though? No. I mean, is it? No, no, no. It's, a, it's definitely a man's thing. I mean, I mean, I'm looking at your your, your Zoom picture there, my friend, and um, I could, I could, I could set you up with a full head of hair. I could, I could give you my hair, like like this style. Don't you worry. I could do anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's a. That's what they used to call it, a syrup. Yeah. That was it. Syrup I was looking yeah. for that terminology. Yeah, I mean, they've come a long way since then. I mean, I work in the movie industry and we, we kind of like, you, you, you can't tell whether someone's wearing hair or not. So next time, next week, you're going to see Bob down the road with a full kind of mop. And you're like, what happened to you in lockdown? I just grew it back. Actually, he stuck a syrup on his head. If I walked into the pub with a syrup on, they'd think I had a dead cat there. I mean, I couldn't put up with the rip taking that was going on. Listen, listen, you have you have thrown down a challenge there, Daniel. <laughs> we may well take you up on that. And for those who don't know well, Mickey, or can't see him, you could actually polish that head so it gleams. <laughs> I have the swollen short mean, back yeah. and polish. <laughs> yeah. can, can I ask Susan, though, because you've actually, uh, Daniel, just pointed out something. The beauty industry is all very up close and personal. It's about as close as you're going to get uh, to another human being in a service uh, situation like that, customer service situation. Um, how safe can you make it? Well, obviously, we've ha we have everything prepared that we think we need prepared. We've got the PPE, we've got everything. We just haven't got the guidelines from the government yet on, um, you know, because we are um, working in um, treatment rooms as well. So, you know, having the ventilation and things like that. Um, you know, we're waiting for like for Daniel and his, everyone to cut cut the hair so we can do the eyebrows and things. But, you know, like we are very, very close contact. So, you know, whereas with hair, you can, you, you can distance a little bit. We are, you know, doing facial work and you, you can't help but be in constant contact. So we don't know, I mean, Feedback from clients has been great. You know, everyone's dying to come back, but we don't know whether there will be an element of people who still will be that and, a little bit wary, you know. And have you had um, any contact from the government? Have you had enough support from the government to tell you what you should be doing? Guidance, if you like. Um, there hasn't really been anything that's come direct from the government, but the likes of like Hillary and the NHBF and things, obviously, you know, all of the organisations we, we're getting guidance from, but there, it isn't anything that's definitive at the moment. Um, so we don't know, like at the moment, for, for my business, we have 10 treatment rooms, but we don't know whether, how many people we can actually have in the building or anything like that. So so what we're doing at the moment, we plan in the rotor. We haven't started booking clients yet because we don't know whether, you know, it could be that the government say, right, you can do nails, but you can't do facial work. We, we, we just don't know yet. Um, because there isn't really two um, beauty salons that do the same treatments either. It can, you know, it can be diverse from just nails right through to, to laser and, and more aesthetic things. So it's 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 really quite hard. So we what we've done, we've decided to split the team. We are going to work longer hours, um, so that we've got two teams in case somebody gets tracked and traced or anything like that. So that we can still work. Um, but as I say, it's just very hard. 
we're in a bit of a limbo situation really until we get some definite guidelines um, on what we can do you know I have a, a friend who has a, a salon over in Chicago um, and she does a lot of facial work but she has to wear a mask and the client has to wear a mask at the moment so that's just taken that whole element of her service out but then different states in 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 america have different guidelines so you know another state you don't have to do that um, can i just bring um, in hillary there because hillary you have uh written to the business secretary and said hang on where's the guidelines we need these guidelines and the response was They'll be here so, as soon as possible, I think. Well, we've written to him a number of, uh, of times on, on that theme. Uh, the latest one uh, was the day before yesterday saying, look, you know, we're coming up to the 4th of July. Um, to be fair, that is the earliest date that salons can uh, reopen, and that's in England. Um, but, you know, salons need lead-in time, time to prepare, time, as Susan says, if the guidelines come up with some surprises, you need to have time to get those in, in place and make those final arrangements. Um, so it's getting very close to the wire now, and the, the level of anxiety across the industry as a whole is, is definitely rising. Um, I think it has helped that in some parts of the country now uh, there are some dates because we've talked about the date for England, but for Northern Ireland, Wales and Scotland, um, even dates haven't been available, never mind the guidelines. So, you know, there is a lot of uncertainty out there. And every time we talk to businesses, what they really want is the certainty of the guidelines, particularly around PPE. You know, just as Susan said, when you're in close physical contact with clients, PPE is really important. And we're relying on the government for the medical and scientific advice about exactly what is, uh, is needed. Do, do, you think, do you think the government is, is taking the view that we don't need to offer advice because you're going to have to rely on common sense? You know your industry. You know how you operate. Um, you are the best judges of, of what measures to put in place. Yes, exactly that. And in fact, many across the industry, including ourselves, provided guidelines of our own based on our knowledge of the industry, based on what's happening in other countries, particularly in uh, Europe, because we're members of a European body. But there's always that uncertainty that because the government have produced guidelines in different sectors, um, you know, at the end of the day, their guidelines are going to trump ours. So if, what, if the stuff that we've put in is not in line with the uh, government guidelines, there's going to be, need to be a quick adjustment. If it had been left to us, those guidelines, we published ours three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Um, so, and, and we felt that they were very uh, robust and, and workable. And that's certainly the feedback we've got from, uh, from our members. 96% said they found it really, really useful. I... Uh... Yeah, I would just say that uh, with Northern Ireland confirming the 6th of July uh, as, as opening day for hair, hairdressers, and of course Northern Ireland has slightly stricter Sunday trading laws, I think you should take it that that is going to be around the time when, when hairdressers are going to allow to reopen. And my own hairdresser, for instance, he's been ready since the beginning of June. He's taken advice from your association, but he's Italian. He's been talking to the Italian hairdressing industry and how they rebuilt after their crisis. So, I mean, I think these are business people and they're pretty well on the ball about how to yeah, get back absolutely. into business. Um, and it's interesting too, that although Northern Ireland have published a date, when you look for the guidelines, it, they just bounce back to the England guidelines for industries that are already open, not the ones that are specifically being developed for close proximity working, uh, which is the route that England is taking. 
it's 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 interesting, Hillary. In in one of my other guys is I, I do a bit of work for BBC Wales, and the one thing I'm having to find is that I've got to be very careful about what I say about a specific country when it comes to what's happening. And I've I've got to say that I think you know having devolution perhaps in many instances is a good thing, but in a situation like this where you face a national crisis it means that people are getting terribly confused about what they can do and what they can't do um, because we have four different countries and they all seem to be pulling in different directions at different paces. Is that something you're finding as well? Oh, absolutely. And of course, every time we put up a post about something that's happening in England, there's this immediate chorus of what about Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland? Um, and we've seen that not just uh, in our industry, but even the social distancing requirements and which members of the family you can see. Uh, as it happens, my daughter is in Wales and she's still confined to a five miles uh, radius for, for visits, whereas in England, you know, you can go anywhere. So those inconsistencies, personally, I find uh, unhelpful, certainly from a business point of view, you know, when you're operating across the four nations, uh, I think it has added to the confusion. Um, and I, I, I don't know if there's uh, sufficient difference between hairdressing in Northern Ireland and Wales to uh, merit the different uh, requirements. I just wonder for, um, for Daniel and for Susan, is there a tipping point? Is there a point where the restrictions are so uh, extensive where the, uh, let me ask that again. I, I just wonder for Daniel and for Susan, is there a point where there's a certain number of customers you need to get in to make it worthwhile opening the business at all? What is that point? Do you want me to go, Daniel? Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, there is because you've got now you, you've not only got the extra expense of the PPE, but you've also got the extra and that has gone up hugely in cost as well. You know, we use PPE all the time, but like now some some companies have gone up 400 percent. Um, but on top of that, then you also have like in between each client, you've got sort of the cleaning that room down or that area down as well. So and, and that's not something that you can really like skimp on, you know, it has to be done correctly. So, so you know, the, the whole day, um, you know, on a sort of a nine, ten hour day, you know, a couple of hours of that possibly going to be cleaning now, you know, and because and, if you've got a 15 minute turnaround time, um, you know, it, it, it massively eats into the profits of the business. Yeah, I think we're just going to be, um, I mean, I'm very fortunate that I've got a, a really, really big salon, but I do feel for the guys that, you know, work really close proximity. I can get two meters between every unit. I can have a full on team. I've got two salons downstairs, upstairs. So I'm very grateful for the things that I've got. You know, I'm really in a good position. I am not worried. Like if anything, I'm looking at this as a win-win-win because I can deliver a better service, the service that I've always wanted to do. Such as, you know, when you go onto a five, you know, you go onto a, a five-star hotel or go onto a plane, you turn left. When you turn left, you get your little kind of pack that's just for you. It's in a sealed little pack and, you know, everything's laundered for you. You've got your own little drinks. And I think the client's experience now is going to be just upgraded and that's what I've, I've really worked on what is the positive out of all of this what's going to come next well what have I wanted to do what can I do and yes there's a bit of expense but hey my clients are going to pay it also you know there's some things to kind of counteract okay so we can't have as many clients in so what do you do well you you take away all your discounts that you probably had 
you raise your prices because people will pay it because we're in demand. We're, you know, they want us now more than ever. They really appreciate our company and our business because their self-esteem over the last 12 weeks has changed. You know, they're, they're kind of feeling a little bit grown out. They're feeling a little bit, they look in the mirror and they've got the roots coming through. You know, they've perhaps attempted a home color and they realize that it's not good as a professional color and they really appreciate the haircut. Um, and we, we, we're kind of just raise, rising the prices and, and my clients will pay it. Those people that have given discounts before, maybe I did a color Thursday, you know, where people can have a cheaper color. Um, I'm actually going into employing more people as well. I've had a, an influx of, of people wanting to come from and work for me because of the way I've challenged my company and challenged the industry and, um, and helped other smaller businesses out as well and give them advice and put myself in their shoes to help my business grow. Because when you kind of speak something out loud and you, it kind of makes sense and if you're kind of selling it out there, now we have no guidelines, none at all. But that really, pre premiumization like that is, is is great if you're able to charge higher prices. What about you know the the barbers in my hometown in Straban and Northern Ireland who are still charging five quid for a haircut? Well, well, that's that's up to them. They shouldn't do that. They they should feel their worth. They are worthy of charging a bit more money. They're so in demand. You know, they've had their missus at home cut their hair or their husband cut their hair. And it's 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 like that experience. They're missing the experience and. For every, human nature to feel a high end of self-esteem is that kind of, you know, going somewhere and being treated. It's just as Suzanne was so important to people's, you know, well-being. It's such an important thing. And we've all felt that little bit low. And those things like such as going and having a pamper, looking after yourself, having your nails done, having a facial done, having your hair colour done, feeling fresh. Um, that kind of gives you that boost. Uh, Daniel, I, you know, that gives I you absolutely that. buy everything you're saying and I'm going to go into lockdown if there is another one with my hairdresser. You don't care what anybody says. <laughs> Mickey is in the meantime wondering yeah. what roots are. But Susan, um, if, you have, uh, if you have a business that's really zinging along like Daniel's in the first place and you have the scope to innovate, that's one thing. You, I think, had to furlough uh, most of your staff What's the situation? Will you be bringing them all back? Will you have to think about redundancies? What's the what's your situation? My my um, take is that we're going to aim to bring everybody back. You know, I've, my business has been established thirty two years, so we really well established, and we do charge for a premium for what we offer, and we do offer really high end treatments, which is fortunate because then you do have that leeway it i think it's the 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 salons who possibly like daniel said you know in, in businesses where they are the the sort of the um it's more of an express service kind of thing where it's like rather than for daniel and i it's more you know people come for for the experience and they're quite willing to pay for that for some uh, somebody who it's just like a, a very quick in quick out express treatment that's where it's going to i think really hit hard because that it's costed at that and no longer can you do it at that i don't think you know yeah i have um within our industry there's many different aspects of uh, different ways people run their salons and i've got a good friend of mine he's a very successful hairdresser Alec, um, ashley gamble he cuts hair within 30 minutes and he works back to back he jumps from one unit to another to another um he approximately charges about 50 percent of my price list because he can do that because he works a little bit harder than i work and we've just kind of we've been mentoring each other in these groups of i've got 60 hairdressers like some of the most famous hairdressers in the in, in england and we're all kind of now saying well 
this is setting the bar, you know? So now it's more about taking your time, having the time to clean down each station, having time to kind of do the laundry, having people in different areas of the salon, um, and making this the service a lot more, you know, a bit slower, a bit more time kept. So I do wonder how he's going to survive and how he's survived is he, he's adapted, he's changed. He's changed to something he's going to work smarter, not harder. And that's it, are you? Hillary, I, I love the, the sound of all of this, but I'll, the reality is on a lot of the high streets, there are hairdressers who are simply not going to be able to adapt in that way. What's the industry going to look like? in three years' time? Uh, that's a, a difficult one to answer. I think at the moment, uh, people are really focused on getting reopened and dealing, uh, you know, as, as you've heard from uh, both Susan and Daniel, dealing with this huge spike of um, pent-up demand. Mm -hmm. um, beyond that, um, it, it, it's a very mixed picture. I mean, looking at the news that's coming out uh, about the economy uh, and, you know, the... the um, uh, possible redundancies, uh, shrinking and, and so on. Um, I think the second half of the year is going to be much more challenging. And I think that's where the innovation, uh, the, the salons that really know their market, and you know, you've heard from both Susan and Daniel, they, they absolutely know their market, but there's also, there are different markets and that's where the price points uh, will, will be different. But I think some salons in the future are going to struggle to survive because they don't adapt they don't know their market. They're very nervous about pricing. We've been asked a lot of times, you know, oh, should I be thinking of putting my prices up? Well, yes, <laughs> there's increased demand at the moment. There's increased costs with PPE, increased time, uh, cleaning time and so on. Um, so salons that are not taking those kinds of steps, I think have a much more uh, difficult future. Having said that, the, the, the positive is that hair and beauty tends to do reasonably well in recession. Yes, people might stretch the times between uh, appointments, but it is one of those services, and we've seen it in lockdown as well, people are very reluctant to, uh, to give up. Um, also, we don't face online competition, uh, which so many retailers do. Um, so I think the longer term future is, is positive, but I think it's going to be a rocky road uh, ahead. Okay, can I just ask all three of you, um, as we wind this up, um, what is the one thing that you think needs to happen to help your sector really get back in business? Hillary? For me, I'm afraid it, you know, it is a short-term aim. Let's get those guidelines open. Let's get the dates confirmed. Let's get salons retrading. Uh, and then we will take stock and look for the uh, longer-term future. Susie? I think for me, um, obviously, number one is what Hillary said, um, and I think it's some longer term support because I think, you know, because we've had sort of the bounce back loan, we've had the, the grant, at, at the moment everything's looking okay, I think it's going to hit again once it gets sort of to the start of 2021, anyone who's survived, so I think it's more of like, to me, long term help, I think, um, to, to help people for the long term. Yeah, I think we go. I think we're going to definitely have like a, a massive. We're going to have the spike, but it's how you control that spike, because that spike will always be there on a six-week turnaround. That's the thing. We everyone has their hair done, so it's about the the leader of the company taking control and 
doing everything now from when we have the time. We've got time to plan. So, you know, you're going to book a six-week cycle. We're fully booked anyway. Then you're going to repeat that six-week cycle. Then you're going to repeat it again. And you can do that because you have the time now. You've got time to sit on the phone. You've got time to manage your appointments. You can. There's so many things that you can upgrade the service now. You, know, you can do online sales. You can do drop shipping for their products so you don't have to kind of mess around with products. In your, there's so many things that we can do. I do not rely on the government. The government helped me so, so much. I'm so grateful. I'm looking at other countries. You know, I've got friends in Italy, and they're 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 not got, they're not reopening. They're not doing anything, and we are in such a good position that we need to start focusing on what we have got rather than what we haven't. And what we've got is a great opportunity here. And I've had a great opportunity. You know, I started an online company called We Are Perfectionists, where um, I started educating the every single assistant that was losing out on their college education and they're about to kind of get qualified. So I've retrained 500 hairdressers ready to go back into, let's say back into war, including my own team. You know, every single Monday I was teaching them, I was behind the camera, I set up a webinar business, I've earned some money from that so I can pay another six months wages. And it's, it's the way that I've adapted and I'm gonna adapt my salon and I'm not gonna rely on the government. What I am gonna rely on is how am I gonna pay this, like they've given me 100 grand. They've paid my team, they've paid my salon, they've given me these grants, they've given me rate relief. How are they gonna want that money back? That's what worries me. Like, long-term, yes, it's the long-term. When the next bill comes out, are they gonna put the VAT up to 25%? That's gonna cripple my business. You know, because yes, we can charge more, but they're gonna take more. So when the last reception happened, I found that they kind of put it down to 15%, kind of let us have a little bit of play. They then bypassed 17.5%, went straight to 20. Now I think we're going to be in the kind of sector of like Norway and stuff like that at 27%, 25%. That's what I do not want to happen. And if it has to happen, then man, let's have that, let's have that happen in two years' time because they're going to want this money back. That's what worries me. That's the only thing that I'm worried about. Thanks, guys. That's been terrific. Declan, Simon, um, long term help, the VAT rates, how. It's all about paying. This well, da- money back. Daniel mentioned Daniel, VAT, and, and a cut in VAT is being discussed. Simon might know more about this than uh, than uh, I do. And then there is a big debate going on among economists about uh, how quickly do we pay back this enormous debt? We have the government borrowing figures this morning were shocking: one hundred and thirty uh, billion in borrowing uh, on the uh, government overdraft in, in new loans. But that's the cost of protecting jobs. That's the cost of cushioning the employment. And there are lots of uh, cushioning the economy. And there are lots of uh, economists out there who say that actually what you're doing is you're investing in jobs and wages that will return, that this is an investment, not expenditure. So it's well worth doing it. I think that uh, Declan's right, of course. And I think that the government does have to get some of this money back. It cannot, you know, have this level of debt, but it's how it gets it back. Now, I'm sure there'll be a lot of Tory MPs that will be arguing for their small businesses and will be saying, do not hit them. They are the backbone of my constituency. Um, The government need to look at the big businesses where the big money really is. But they are um, they're much more international and it's much more difficult. So, I mean, we are in, I'm afraid, for very tough times. Mickey, well, get, that, get that tenor out of your wallet, Mickey. <laughs> yeah, you'll need it. I mean, in fairness, the government have been printing and if everyone pays the money back that they've, they've borrowed, then it can be written off the balance sheet. But that's, that's it for the future. Now, before you two, Declan, Simon, scuttle off to the local beauty parlour, 
because that should take a while. Um, give us an idea of what we can expect this week. Simon, you kick off. Yes. Um, well, I, I think the debate is still going to be around the two-metre rule. Uh, I think Northern Ireland is significant. It may One government has now conceded that point. And I think the other thing is the schools. Um, I think there's, there's a growing clamour for people to go back to, uh, to get the kids back. Um, and I think that's going to be the big argument. All of my week. friends, her parents are saying, "Please take them back." There's a, there's a there's a cliche that's around about the coronavirus crisis that it has made us realise what's really valuable uh, in life. And whilst uh, many of us have been happy to entrust our uh, luscious locks to our nearest and dearest, wielding scissors and holding a fruit bowl, as soon as those hairdressers open, we're going to be beating the doors down again. If the ones in Northern Ireland open before the ones in England, my mother's going to see me a lot earlier than she expected. <laughs> I don't even get the job. I don't even get the benefit of the fruit bowl. But there you go, <laughs> Simon Declan. Many thanks for that. Well, that's all from yeah. us for now. Let's talk to the MP for Wimbledon yesterday, Stephen Hammond. Look out for that interview on the website coming up soon. And as Simon said, he was fighting for his small businesses. He definitely wants us to get out there and support the small local businesses. In the meantime, read our blogs. Tell us your story. Email us at contactus at backinbusiness.org.uk. Visit the website, find us on LinkedIn, or we're on Twitter at business underscore backing. And next week, we'll be talking about mothers in business. See you then. Mm-hmm.